Hello and welcome to the podcast from Holy Trinity Westerhales. We're delighted that you've joined us for this week's podcast and pray that you would be blessed through it. So important that we pray for our children in these days and um, why don't we come before God in prayer and do just that. Father God, it's such... It's just so right, Lord, that we all worship all ages, all stages. Every color and creed would worship before you. Thank you for the unity you bring. Thank you for the barriers you break down, Lord Jesus, through the cross. But we want to lift up our young people, Lord. Um, Lord, they're singing songs, and they're just beginning to think, what does all this mean? They're beginning to consider you and who you are. And your spirit is calling to them. And we ask, Lord, that they would come to that moment of firm decision that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you'd bring them to salvation. Lord, we thank you for that rich word, Hosanna, that means save. Lord, please, Lord, save. And we're crying out for our children, Lord. We pray especially for our children, maybe some older children that have wandered away from you. And we're worried about them. And we long for them. Long for a Christian to be put in their path who would remind them of the good things of Jesus. We're longing for your Holy Spirit to be sent to convict and to convert. Lord, work in our young people. Lord, keep us prayerful in a world that's full of many temptations, many challenges surrounded by an education system that mocks you, Lord, make them fierce and strong. Give them a resolve, the resolve you had as you made your way into Jerusalem, knowing what faced you, setting your face to the cross. May we too, young and old alike, set our face to what you have called us to do, that we may see true victory in our lives. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves before you now. And as we come to look at your word, we pray that the speaker would decrease so that Jesus Christ of Nazareth would increase, for we ask it in his holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to uh, turn to actually John's gospel. We read in Matthew's gospel, uh, it's important that we actually have four different gospels. God didn't just give us one account. He gave us many accounts. Um, sometimes that's to help us and to resolve issues and questions that we might, uh, that we might have. Um, but I've chosen John. It's the shortest one. Um, and uh, let me read it to you now. It'll probably come up on the screen. Um, John 12, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. It means save. Please, Lord, save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. 
I am using John's gospel because John is the only one who mentions the palm branches. He's the only one who does that. These uh, wonderful palm branches that we've been uh, weaving and some that look a bit scaffy as well that I had in my hand as well. That's why I got the kids to give me their good one. And um, John says that they took these palm branches, they laid them out on the road, they, they waved them in the air to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem. And I want this morning just really to think about the significance of that. Um, usually we maybe would concentrate on Jesus coming on the donkey and that. But I, I want to talk about the, the palm branches. I wouldn't normally talk about something uh, like that. And... Uh, as John spoke about that, as those, of those palm branches, I remember in university, I had a tutor in Old Testament, and the tutor, he, he would gather us around every week, and he would spend his time literally trying to destroy the Bible in front of, of our eyes. That was the, that's what went on. Some of you, uh, if you're studying in university now and you do theology now, uh, it can be a bit like that. And I remember this tutor, and he referred, he was talking about the Jewish festivals, and he referred to John's gospel. He's an Old Testament professor, however. And he says about John's gospel, he said, oh yeah, they, he, John said that they waved palm branches, but he got the wrong time of year. Because all the palm branches came out during the Jewish festival of Sukkoth, or you know, it's the festival of uh, the Feast of Tabernacles or booths. That was when the, the, the Jews would take these uh, palm branches and cut them down and they would make shelters for themselves and they would stain them for a while to remind themselves that they lived in temporary shelters for so long before they were taken into the promised land. And he said, you see, John got it. He got it wrong. There wasn't all these palm branches lying around. And he was mixing them up in his head because it was Passover time. And you just, I was just looking at him going, but it says in Matthew that the people didn't just find palm branches lying around. It says in Matthew's gospel, if we go on to the next screen there, that they came along and they cut down the palm leaves from the trees. And this actually was in the Jewish festival of Passover and Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. They've come to celebrate Passover. And Matthew and John, they're agreed about this, that there was a great crowd. And that might be something of an understatement. In Jerusalem at that time, the time of Jesus, a population of about 50,000. But during Passover, that swelled to 250,000, a quarter of a million people, which in an ancient city was a, a phenomenal amount of, of people that would gather for the Passover festival. But when you think about all these festivals, whether it's Passover or the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, or you think about the great Christian festivals like Easter or Christmas or Pentecost, which is both a Jewish and a Christian festival, I think it's probably true to say that the Christian church has had a mixed relationship with these things. I grew up in the Isle of Lewis. Uh, so growing up in Stornoway, my church never celebrated Christmas. We celebrated it at home, but we never celebrated Christmas in the church. We never celebrated Easter. So there was no watch night service on Christmas Eve. There was no Palm Sunday service. There was no 
Monday, Thursday service. There was no Good Friday service. You would get to Easter Sunday, and the minister would preach on whatever passage you were systematically going through at that particular time. Now, some of you will be thinking, what sort of weird Christianity is that? And there'll be others of you going, Christianity is all the better for not getting caught up in these celebrations that have become so worldly. And I don't know which one are you. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's different opinions within here. Because in the early church, it was obviously a bit of a hot topic. And the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the churches, in those early churches, he sometimes gave them different advice according to the situation that was going on in the church at the time. And that is true when it comes to celebrating these festivals, including, let's say, Palm Sunday today. So, for instance, when Paul was writing to the church in Galatia, Galatia faced a very specific set of circumstances. They were a church where there was a huge influence of Jews within that church who sometimes get called by theologians Judaizers who wanted to restore all the old festivals. They wanted to bring back the old customs. They wanted to bring back circumcision. No thanks. (laughs) They wanted to bring back the Feast of Tabernacles. They wanted to bring back the, 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 the Passover feasts. And the Apostle Paul writes to them in Galatians uh, chapter 4. And this is what he says to them. He's not happy about it. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. And so the Apostle Paul is going, why are you having special times of years and special days? And this was quoted a lot in my church growing up. They felt you don't need to celebrate Easter because every single week, The death of Christ is proclaimed and preached every single week. The the, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and his victory is proclaimed every single week in church. So you don't need a special day for this. And here was the backup verse to just to say we're right in not celebrating these things. But interestingly, that's what Paul said to the Galatians in a church that was still observing these customs. But when he wrote to the Corinthian church, they were in a very different situation. The Corinthian church had abandoned all their Jewish roots. They'd embraced the culture because they wanted to reach Corinth for Jesus. And it was an exciting church. It was probably a bit crazy. A lot of stuff was going on in the Corinthian church. And the Apostle Paul writes to them something very different. He says, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So he's talking about the Jewish festival of Passover. And then he says this, therefore, let us keep the festival, with a capital F in my Bible, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 
So the Apostle Paul seems to be saying to the church in Corinth that where the festival is pointing towards Jesus, towards Christ, our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed, then let's keep the festival. So it seems to be that depending on the situation, there is a time when you need to keep the festivals and keep them front and center, and there seems to be a time when you shouldn't bother with them because they're a distraction and you end up worshiping the wrong things. So I want to ask the question, which is it for Scotland today? You see, if you, if you grew up in a Christian, quite Christian environment, a Christian culture like I grew up in, in the Isle of Lewis, there wasn't actually any need for these festivals because I literally, when I was converted in my teenage years, would go into town and almost without fail, if I went into a few shops, I would end up in a conversation with someone about Jesus or about the sermon that was preached on, on Sunday. Or I'd be out in the street and I'd end up talking to someone about Jesus because that was the environment I grew up in. People would talk very openly about Jesus. People that the death of Jesus on the cross was front and center. Everybody knew about that. Everybody knew Jesus had gone to the cross for my sins and, and, and for your sins. Everybody, everybody knew that Jesus had risen again on the third day. And he was glorified and now in heaven. There was almost not a person who wouldn't know that. A generation ago in Scotland, there would almost be not a person who wouldn't know about these things. But that's not true today. That is not true in Scotland today. I shared a story at the evening service uh, last Sunday night uh, about someone who had taken um, their neighbor to church at Christmas. And they'd come along, and they, then they took them home in the car, and they'd asked them, oh, how did you find that? And they said, oh, I really enjoyed it. And then they said, they said, I know, I know the church makes a big deal about Christmas, but shouldn't you make as big a deal about Jesus' death, because the minister said that was the most important thing he came to do. And the person just looked at them and went, we do make a big deal about it, it's called Easter. They'd never made that, that link, that that was what Easter was about, Jesus' death and resurrection. That's the Scotland we live in today where most people do not know. And I have a feeling that we're going to need to out-celebrate the world. We're going to bring, have to bring these festivals that give us pictures of what Christ has done and bring them back front and center because people have forgotten about them. They've forgotten about them. And you need the reminders. I've been reading some uh, Dietrich uh, Bonhoeffer as those who've been in the evening services know. And uh, he was someone who was uh, amazing writing uh, from prison. He was imprisoned because he spoke out against that monstrous Nazi regime in World War II. And they put him in a concentration camp. And in the concentration camp, he began writing letters. And um, awful conditions, terrible, terrible conditions. After a, after a number of months, of seeking to commune with God and to write about that. Um, and I, I really recommend you, you read those letters from prison. It's such a, a blessing. He said after a few months, um, 
he had to begin, it was so awful, he had to begin drawing the cross in the dirt on the ground. And as he drew the cross in the dirt on the ground, he said, and this is a guy who hated crosses apparently, he said, I had to do it. He said, at the moment I did that, it was a moment that reminded me of what Christ had gone through and ushered in the presence of God. Sometimes we need these symbols. Sometimes we need these festivals. Sometimes we need these feasts because people have forgotten. We so easily forget what Christ has done, and we need to bring it back front and center. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is an interesting case because when he started writing in prison, he said his aim was to produce a religionless Christianity, a Christianity that could withstand the horrors of a concentration camp, but his experiment failed miserably. He had to start drawing the cross on the floor. I'm talking about Palm Sunday and waving these palm branches. These palm branches were not insignificant. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all speak about the thing that happened just before Jesus entered into Jerusalem. They all tell us Jesus was in Jericho. It was the place where there was those two men, you remember? Who, two blind men, and they are shouting out at the top of their voices, Lord, son of David, have mercy upon us. And when people told them to shut up, keep quiet, they shouted all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on it. And they were shouting at the top of their, their lungs, and Jesus comes over to them, and he heals them. And that happens in Jericho. And I don't think that's insignificant, because Jericho was famously known as the city of palms. You can see the references up on the, the screen. Everybody knew in that time that's what Jericho was, the city of palms. But you also know something else about Jericho. That was the place, the very first city the Israelites were given. God handed it into their hands when the walls came tumbling down, when they entered the promised land. And God's people, the Israelites, they go, into, they go into Jericho, the city of palms. And that's the first place where palm branches are waved in a victory celebration. In one sense, it was palm branches being waved in military victory. So you can imagine what most of the people in the crowd when they're waving those palm branches as Jesus comes riding in, you can imagine what they're thinking. As we read there, they're, they're, they're shouting, and we, we shouted it ourselves, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. What are they thinking of? They're thinking Jesus is coming, and he's coming to bring a great military victory. He's coming to save the people. He's coming to give them Jerusalem back because the palm branches are waved in military victory. They want the city back. They're wanting those blasted Romans gone. They're wanting Jesus to take the throne. They want Jesus to become king. They don't want some puppet king like they've got at the moment. They want Jesus as king. But Jesus hasn't come to do that. 
Well, he hasn't come to do that yet. He's come to do something much deeper, much more important than that. The, the palm branch wasn't just a symbol in ancient times of victory. It also became a symbol in the early church because they've uncovered some of the, the tombs of the martyrs where they were buried. And on many of these tombs is carved the image of a palm branch. And so in the early church, the palm branch became the symbol of the victory over the world, over the flesh, and over the devil. And as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, he was coming to confront the sin of the world. He was coming to face the weakness of the flesh in his own flesh. He was gonna, he's coming to bring the downfall of the devil. And ultimately, he was going to face the ultimate enemy, which was death itself on that cross. And so Jesus, he's, he's coming in, and this is the type of victory that Jesus wants to bring. He wants to bring in your life, and he wants to bring in my life. But when you look at that story, you can imagine those two types of crowds that <laughs> crowd there who are waving those palm branches. There's some in the crowd who are happy to praise Jesus when he is going to fulfill their agenda. So for most of them, it was, we're going to praise you, Jesus. We're going to call you King Jesus as long as you're going to drive out the Romans. As long as that's on your agenda, we're with you. And it can be the same today. We can be willing to wave our palm branches when Jesus is on with our agenda. Your agenda could be something very noble. It could be, Jesus, I'll praise you as long as you do something about Putin. Jesus, as long as you bring, just bring an end to the war in Ukraine. Or maybe it'll be something more personal. Jesus, if, if you'll just heal that family member that's got cancer. Jesus, we're facing such hard times now. Jesus, I'll wave that palm branch. If you'll just guarantee me financial security. And then there's another, another crowd there. And they're waving palm branches. And they're willing... They're willing to do whatever, whatever it takes for God to do what he wants to do to bring about his kingdom. They're the crowd that's waving the palm branches and they're saying, Jesus, save, but save in the way you do. Save in the way that you would want to save the people. See, as Jesus rode in on that, rode in on that donkey, um, the the musician and the theologian Michael Card, he, he describes it beautifully just about how in ancient times that the, 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 the victorious ruler would come in and what they, were, what they came riding in on would make all the difference to the people. If the victorious king or the victorious ruler came riding in on a horse, <laughs> then the city was doomed. 
but if the victorious king or ruler came riding in on a donkey, then he was coming in peace. There was hope for them. I guess it's hard to wage war sitting on a donkey, as we saw this morning when Finley came in. It's hard to wage war while you're sitting on a donkey. There is a day coming where Jesus is going to ride in on a white horse, and he's going to come in judgment. We read about it in the book of Revelation. And because of Jesus' victory over the world, over sin, over death, and over the devil, there is going to be in heaven a palm branch celebration for all who are waiting for him, for all who trust in him, to all who believe in him. We read about it in the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, sometimes difficult to understand. But in Revelation chapter 7, I'm just going to read to you a vision of what's going to happen in the future. After this, this is Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Amen. I read the whole section, but it's the first section. Did you notice what they were doing? This crowd that's gathered before Jesus, who's come triumphant, victorious over sin, victorious over death, victorious over the enemy. They're wearing white robes, and what are they waving in their hands? Palm branches. There's going to be a great palm branch celebration before the throne of God. I'm asking you, are you going to be there? Amen. Who are those that are standing before? It's it's those, it tells us that they've gone through great tribulation. They've gone through difficult times. They've gone through unbelievable persecutions, troubles, hardships in their life but they've maintained their faith in Jesus. They've had their their robes washed white, to use the image in Revelation. They've gone to Jesus, and they've found that they've been forgiven. They've been made whole. And no matter what happens to them here on earth, they're going to beat death, and they're going to stand before that great throne where the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is there, right at the center of the throne, and before him, they're going to be waving palm branches in victory. 
And so the question this morning is, we're all part of the crowd waving palm branches, but are you part of that crowd that's fine while Jesus is fulfilling your agenda, doing what you want him to do? Or are you part of that crowd that's going to stick by Jesus? Even when it's tough, even when you're going through the tough times, even when you're going through times of great trial and temptation and tribulation. And say, Jesus, I'm following you. I want you to do what needs to be done. I want you to do what needs to be done in my life. Because I'm still struggling. I'm still struggling with the temptations of the flesh. And I'm still struggling with the pressures that this world puts on me. And that ancient serpent, the devil, still getting in my ear. And I need your victory. And I'm waving my palm branch today in victory that you can bring in my life. See, your king comes to you, humble, gentle, riding on a donkey, the colt, a fool of a donkey. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. And let's just ask the Holy Spirit. search our minds, our hearts, our motives, our agendas. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we've waved our palm branches in celebration of Jesus. We love to do it. Your joy wells up inside us as we sing your praise. But we know how fickle that crowd can be. And if we're honest, we know how fickle we can be. How one moment we can be all out for you and the next moment just seemingly nowhere even like Peter denying we even know you oh Lord would you have mercy upon us thank you that you came Lord Jesus in weakness to minister to the weak and we are weak but you're strong Holy Spirit would you just identify an area of our, our lives today. To make this concrete for us today, Lord, an area of our lives where we need your victory. Might be a victory over the pressures of this world. Might be a victory over the flesh, over temptation right now. Might be a victory over the enemy. Might be a victory over the fear of death. Holy Spirit, would you just pinpoint where we're not living in the palm branch celebration that you want us to live in? Let the Spirit remind you of the answer. Like a cliche, but it's true. The answer is you go to Jesus. The Holy Spirit always leads us to Christ. He leads us in triumph to the cross. He leads us to the place where true victory is found, often broken, 
in confession, in humility, and humiliated at the cross. Lord Jesus, thank you that you still come to us in peace, in kindness, with the offer of forgiveness, the offer of new life, the offer of triumph, that we could be more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Lord, take away sin. Restore us true joy. Lord, remove hypocrisy from our lives so that we really can worship you waving palm branches in integrity because we've allowed you into the darkest places, the, the places where we're broken and fallen and damaged, the places where we're deceitful, the places that we think we can hide from you. Come, Holy Spirit. And in, in obedience to your command that we're to not think on earthly things, but heavenly things, we thank you for that vision we're given of that palm branch celebration that is to come. Thank you, Lord, that if we trust in Jesus, we are guaranteed to be on the winning side. We need not fear today. We trust you, Lord Jesus. Hear our prayer. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.